tonight, uh, Joshua chapter 13. We're going to be beginning a multi-part series entitled, Whose Land Is It Tonight? Part 1. And we'll look at chapter 13. Now, I want to remember a couple of things as we begin tonight. Number one, uh, that as we look at these passages of Scripture, um, there are peoples that we're not familiar with in our modern day and time. There are some names here that uh, can be difficult to pronounce. There are all kinds of people groups here that no longer exist uh, in the way that they're spoken of here. That doesn't disprove the Bible. Some people say, well, you can't find, you know, the Makarites or, you know, you can't find the Jehuzites or those types of peoples. And so simply because uh, they were individual regions of the same basic people group that we know as Arabs. And so uh, these are largely the descendants of Ishmael and they are the Arab peoples of the earth. And so it's extremely important to keep that in mind because when you now look at the world, what you see uh, surrounding the Jewish people are Arab people groups of all kinds of different flavors. And so tonight, uh, whose land is it? And I want to remind you that Joshua is in the first chapter successfully completed the first half of his divine commission. Uh, he had entered into the land. He had conquered Jericho. And he waited for God's further instruction. But these instructions were not given specifically to Joshua at this time. They actually go all the way back to Moses. And the Jewish people failed to do exactly what Joshua ends up doing some 40 years earlier at Kadesh Barnea. And so Joshua is now going to fulfill the second part of that commission, and that's to actually divide and to occupy the land and give each tribe their portion. And so it is very, very, very important for us to recognize that this is not an exercise uh, in battle strategy. This is not just an exercise in conquest. This is God's people obeying the exact word of the Lord, doing exactly what he told them to do, and thereby taking possession of their inheritance. Now, let's modernize it for a moment. You all have a very rich inheritance in Christ Jesus. Amen? But you must also go in and possess it. You must be obedient to the things that God has called you to do in order that you might live in the land in blessing. And so the picture that we have here going forward is that picture of what happens in obedience. What happens as we believe the Lord, do what God says, as we enter into that rich inheritance that we have in Christ. Back in the book of Numbers, uh, there uh, in verse 6, it, it is given there that they would divide up the lands, and now they're actually going to do it. And, and for us, it's one thing to hear the word of the Lord. It's another thing to do the word of the Lord. Amen? I can tell you a, a lot of Christians struggle in the doing the word of the Lord thing. Uh, they'll even believe that God's word is true, and they'll tell you that it's true. They'll look you right, yeah, I know it's true. But I'm not going to do it. And what results is exactly what resulted in the lives of the Jewish people. They walked around without the full blessing of God. 
And because they walked around without the full blessing of God, they didn't receive that inheritance that God wanted for them. They kind of got what they could earn. And that was strife and difficulty and trouble and wandering and all kinds of things which very clearly push forward into our day and time in this age of grace. We are not Jews. And so we need to be very, very careful here that we don't take this analogy too far and that we don't overly spiritualize it. But the point is, if you want to take God's inheritance seriously, you've also got to take God's word seriously. And if you want all that he has for you, then you must be obedient to all that he has for you. Uh, You can have part and you can even have salvation and walk in some disobedience, but you will not have the full blessing of God. Some people want the full blessing of God. They want basically God to bless their sin. Uh, God doesn't do that. I've had so many people come to me, well, you know, I just want God to bless this relationship or bless this business venture or bless these things. And you talk about that business venture, well, I'm, you know, I'm really not going to insure my business. I'm not going to get a contractor's license. I'm not going to pay taxes. And then you're sitting there asking God to bless it. God's not going to bless it. He simply won't. He's not going to bless sin. And to not put yourself under the authority of the governing officials, the ones that have been put over us, is sin to somebody somebody who's a believer. So we need to be careful not to shorten this so far that we say, well, it's just all about grace, brother. It is all about grace that saves, but it's all about obedience that brings blessing. Saved by grace, blessed in obedience. Very important co-bookends. You've got one on one side and one on the other. And so in this, we find these remaining lands that are east of the Jordan. I want to also remind you that probably if you have a relatively new Bible in the back of that Bible, maybe even an older Bible, you're going to find a whole series of maps. Um, Those maps are very valuable tools, and I would encourage you periodically to look at those maps in the back of your Bible. And one of them you're probably going to find Joshua's Conquest. Uh, You may even find the tribal divisions. Those are the things that we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. Uh, as we study these passages together, they're very important because they relate to our modern world. Uh, we have a lot going on in the Middle East right now, amen? Who's at the focus of all of that? It's the Jewish people, isn't it? You can talk all you want about ISIS, and you can talk all you want about Saudi Arabia, or the people who now dwell in Iraq. Those are ancient Mesopotamians, by the way. They're not Iraqis, they're Mesopotamians. Uh, if you go to Iran, those are Persians. Those are all people mentioned in your Bible. The, the real people groups that live there have been there for a very long time. Here's the key. The Jews have been there for a very long time, like try 3,600, 3,800 years, depending on how you want to date this particular passage of Scripture. But a very long time. And in that very long time, God made them a very permanent promise uh, that remains to this day, and he gave them the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's theirs because it belongs to God. And so all of the haggling and fighting and infighting and the regional warfare and everything that we see going on is a direct result of these battles. It's the same stuff. It's still going on. It's the same people groups, same regions of the world. If you look at that map and then pull out a modern map of the Middle East, you're going to see, ah, that's why they're fighting. If you want to read a good book, uh, there's a book by, by Dr. Stanley Ellison called Who Owns the Land? 
uh, it goes in great detail about these things. And I would encourage you to read it if you have uh, additional desire after we get done with these next six chapters. So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And we want to pray tonight, Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem. God, just for the, the peaceful promise that you made that one day, uh, you, Jesus, are going to come back and square all of this away. And Father, in the meantime, there are innocent Arabs, there are innocent Jews. Uh, there are guilty Arabs and guilty Jews. There's infighting. And Lord, it's literally brother against brother in the Middle East. And I know it grieves your heart. We know it grieves your heart. Uh, we pray that you would uh, just step forth into time. Lord, have your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. God, we, we recognize the end is drawing near. The age of grace is coming to a close. And so, Lord, as we, we study, help us to seize our inheritance, Lord, and to walk in it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have one of those maps, it looks probably something like this. It's going to be hard to see from back there in the back. But you'll notice all that cross-hatched area, and it gives you the 12 tribes in there. And the reason that's important is you, as you overlay all of that, um, when you look up here at the top, that's Damascus, Syria right there. So this is Mount Hermon. Right now, modern-day Israel ends clear over here someplace and clear down here someplace. So that piece is in enemy hands. All of this is in Jordanian hands. All of this is the West Bank. That's also not in the hands of the Jewish people. Uh, this is the area that is now called Gaza. So the town of Gaza is right there. That area actually belongs to, the, to those who are not helpful to the Jewish cause. And even some of this actually is Egypt. So when you're looking at the world map today, the Jewish people have not possessed to this day the land that God said he gave them. And so the fighting, guess where it's at? <laughs> this area, this area, this area, and that area. All the areas that they don't possess. So God said, it's yours. Go in and take it. It's your inheritance. They gave it up. They conquered all of it in the 67 war. Went all the way back to the gates of Damascus, clear up there, and then promptly gave it all back. And so the Jewish people, in that disobedience to God's command and in obedience to political pressure, have created the situation that they currently live in. And so we're going to see tonight that what God said was, hey, you need to take the land. It's yours. It belongs to me. I'm going to let you be in it. And so as we look at this tonight, God's going to begin to speak to a very old Joshua. Verse 1, it says here in chapter 13, and now Joshua was old. I don't think I want my name in the Bible with that sentence. And now Jeff was old, just really old. He's decrepit. You know, it, it, it does kind of take uh, advanced in years. He belonged to AARP, and uh, he had all the cards for a very long time. Joshua was old. Uh, he is he is an old man by the time this chapter comes to pass. He's in his 80s. And the Lord said to him, and this is really important, you are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Now he's speaking, of course, to the Jewish people, but he's also speaking to Joshua as a commander of those people, as a leader of those people. Look, it's not over yet. And so no matter how much we've done 
uh, in our Christian lives. And I think this is, is, is for us today something we need to realize. It's very important to me. No matter how long I've been in ministry, and it's been a long time, I'm heading towards that the end of that third decade in full-time ministry. When I think of those things, when, when I think of, of all the things that have uh, been accomplished in, in my lifetime, and the Lord's graciously used me in all kinds of different circumstances, situations, and places. As I think of those things, there is a human tendency to do what we call resting on your laurels. It's just like, look, I did all that, I did all this, I did these things, you used me to do this, and I went over there, and I accomplished that, and you kind of get the personal pronoun interjection there, and I'm doing it purposefully. You can almost begin to think, well, because I did these things, naturally there's nothing left to do. There's much land yet to be possessed. And even though we're old, he's acknowledging the advanced years. He tells him, look, there's a job that still needs to be done. Now, it may not be the same job. May not be the same ministry. Connie and I, interestingly enough, were kind of talking about this very subject a couple of mornings ago. You know, I realize as, as I've gotten older, there are things that I used to do really, really well that I can no longer, in some cases, really effectively do at all. There are some things that I do a lot slower. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name, me and Rick, we're just like, if you see us with walkers in the parking lot, you know what happened. It, it, it there are, there are things that, that when I look at it, it's just like what used to be easy is now difficult. Amen. There, there, there are parts of me that used to work that now don't work. You know, it's just you, you run into the, the physical ramifications of age, but you also run into the mental ramifications of age. Or I used to, you know, not even think about thinking. Now I actually have to think about thinking. I don't know if any of the rest of you that are a little more advanced than some of the rest of us, but uh, you, you know, you sit there and you go, is that the right word? Is it, you know, especially when I'm typing, it's like, I think that's, no, that's no, the red line, that's not it. You know, it's like autocorrection, it, you know, that type of thing. No matter how much we've done, there's still other things that we can do. It may not be the same things, but God has a plan for us all the way until he takes us home. Now, that may be just being a tremendous grandparent. Maybe it's helping to raise uh, your grandbabies. Maybe it's showing them uh, Christ. There, we have to be careful not to limit God and how he might use us. And we have to also not be uh, put on the shelf by our own uh, thoughts of what's good and what's not, what's an acceptable service and what's not. Uh, thank God for all the moms that have declared that their life's work to raise their children and then to raise their grandkids. That is ministry of the highest order. And so we, God looks at that as ministry. There's still much to be done. We have something to offer. Otherwise, God wouldn't leave us on this earth. He's put us here for a purpose. He has plans for us. And so what the land was, in essence, as God speaks to them, he says, look, there's much to do. You need to keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. Keep taking land. You know the old adage is, if you're not going forward, at best you're standing still. At worst, you're going backwards. Amen? How many people are like that? You stop going forward, and the first thing that happens is you get stagnant. That's not really good. I don't know about you all, but when I look at stagnant water, I'm not really tempted to drink. And I sure don't want the backwash, okay? So we definitely don't want to be stagnant or to go backwards. We need to keep pressing on. And what the land is, and I think it's important if you want to make an equation to it, what the land was to the Jewish people Christ is to us. 
because Christ is our inheritance. Amen? Ephesians uh, chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, give you that story. Uh, what, what the land was, that was their inheritance. Look, this is what you get in that obedience. We get the character of Christ. We get the blood of Christ covering our sin. We get forgiveness of sin. We get Christ himself as our inheritance. So I would ask you the question, in obedience, how much Jesus do you have? Think about it for a second. How much of the word of God, how much of the Bible do you possess? Have you possessed it? Because I can tell you what you won't possess in, in God's word. You'll possess nothing that you don't take the time to study. You won't. It doesn't come by osmosis. Very often I get young pastors that will you know, well, what's it like to be in ministry? And I say, it's reading. They'll go, what? Yeah, it's reading. A lot of reading. I have thousands, literally thousands of books. Reading. Well, I don't like to read. Well, you're kind of in trouble. <laughs> how much of God's Word? How many, how many hours do you spend reading God's Word? Do you possess it? You see, if you don't put any effort into it, you're not going to possess much of it. You'll have a little bit. And yes, of course, you can be saved. But you're not going to have much of your inheritance. You're not going to have much promised land going on in your life. Do you walk in, in the blessing of leading others in possessing Christ? Or are you leading them in kind of being mediocre? We want to lead them in possessing Christ. Amen? You, you see, as we look at these things, we're blessed. Absolutely blessed when we possess what He has for us. And so when we look at this, picking up now in verse 2, and this is the land that yet remains. And so now we're getting just a description of this occupied land, all the territory of the Philistines and all that's of the Geshurites from Sihor, from the east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite. So this is pretty much modern-day Jordan. This is the area and a little bit of Syria. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, uh, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, and the Avites. Uh, these are from the south and all the lands of the Canaanites. So this is what was considered uh, the land, the enemy territory. So all the land that they had just liberated is being described here. Uh, as far as this, to the Sidonians, where Merah belongs to them, and as far as Aphek and the border of the Amorites. So the Amorites, of course, uh, in Jordan, the Moabites in Jordan, the Gebelites, all of Lebanon. So now we're back up in the north again. So you can see this is a large geographic area. Look at your map when you get home and realize what God's saying here. It's not the little tiny sliver of land uh, that is modern-day Israel, especially with the carve-outs of the West Bank, the Golan Heights, and the Gaza Strip. It's it's more than three times the size of modern-day Israel as described here. So what Israel is currently occupying is far less than what God had planned for them. That's a, that's a good point for us. Don't occupy less than what God has for you. You want all that God has for you. And so he goes on to say, uh, toward the sunrise, so to, of course, the 
the uh, west from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon. This would be looking towards the Mediterranean Sea as far as the entrance to Hamath. So that's actually over in modern day Lebanon. And all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook Meraspath and all of the Sidonians. Sidonians would have been part of the Phoenician provinces up in the north. So that would have been Tyre and Sidon. They're modern day Lebanon, all the, actually in northern Lebanon. So this is significantly uh, up into what is modern day Lebanon. And I will drive them out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. And so he gives them some very simple instructions. Look, this is yours. Go claim it. Now, when we think of this passage of Scripture, it kind of, like I said, doesn't really mean a whole lot to us because when we look at the Middle East, we just realize the whole thing's pretty much a mess and it's a battleground. It's been fought over for thousands of years and why worry ourselves with it? Um, I think that's a, that's a legitimate question that much of America has as we're uh, sitting here facing this threat of ISIS. I think a lot of Americans are just simply tired of seeing our, our young ones in battle over seemingly uh, unobtainable goals. That's a legitimate concern. And legitimate concern is based here in Scripture. Because as long as Israel remains forced to be this tiny... Can you imagine if they were actually ruling those lands? Uh, most of these problems would not exist that we see in the Middle East. Because it would have been settled by God. It would have been worked out by God. But they're not settled by God. They're not worked out by God. As a matter of fact, they're the exact opposite of what God said. So what do you think is going to happen? Conflict. As he goes on and describes yet these additional groups, there's a method to all of this, how they're going to possess it. And he says in verse 6, the second half, Then I will drive out from before the children of Israel, and only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. And now, therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so he actually tells them which tribes are going to get these lands. And if you refer again to that map that's likely in the back of your Bibles, you'll see that this was the original land allotments uh, that were getting given to those tribes. So God promises to do something that they can't do. Have you noticed that? I will drive them out. God makes promises. It's up to God to keep them. We sometimes forget that. I've been guilty very frequently in my own spiritual walk with the Lord of God making a promise to me and then me trying to make sure that that promise is kept instead of let God work out the details of how that promise is kept. In other words, it becomes a work of the flesh and not a work of the spirit. And we have to let God do God's things God's way. He intends for each tribe to trust God. He intends for each tribe to be resting in him and not striving after things that are not theirs. He doesn't tell them, look, we, I want you to go fight more. He says, I want you to go in by faith and possess it. So it really pictures our walks with the Lord. There are a lot of things we don't know about our Christian walks when we get saved. Amen? I think that's actually by design, because I think we knew some of the things that awaited us as we, as we move forward in our walks with the Lord. A lot of people are going, mm, sorry, not going to do that. I got to, I got to do what? You want me to, huh? Yeah, and we, we would just simply choose to not go that direction. And so the walk that we have of the Lord is a walk of faith, and it's not by sight. Doesn't mean that we're unreasonable. Doesn't mean we're foolish. Doesn't mean we're stupid. Doesn't mean we lack prudence or wisdom. It means that at the end of the day, we have to trust God because He's the one that made the promises. It's the same picture that we have here for the children of Israel. 
I also want you to notice a couple of things here. Notice what he's doing. He's giving each one of them a piece of this. I, I believe that God keeps a very, very, very high priority on taking personal responsibility and, and trusting God. I think that he wants us to do our part. You know, there are some people that say, well, you know, it's just up to God, so what, what, matter, you know, what does it matter what I do? I'll just do whatever I want because it's up to God. That's not what's taught in Scripture. Scripture very clearly teaches that we have personal responsibility, and that personal responsibility goes along with God's perfect will, his plans, his authority, his sovereignty. They work together. You, we don't just get to sit around, you know, wagging our tongues and sitting on our hands. We need to go possess what God's called us to possess. Go into the land. Now, for these Jewish people, that was going to mean hard work. They were going to have to take over cities that people didn't want them in. There, there were going to be some additional skirmishes. There were going to be some, some problems, some difficulties that would come their way. And, and so each tribe is going to take that personal responsibility. They're going to have their own land completely, and God's going to then enable them to go in and do what they need to do. And quite frankly, that's how stuff gets done in the church, too. You know, we could have a whole bunch of committees. We all get together and we can identify about 8 million things that need to get done here in the church. At the end of the day, somebody's got to put on nail bags and go get them done. Amen? You know, it doesn't do us a whole bunch of good to say, well, you know, I sure wish that would get fixed. And all of us agree, I sure wish that would get fixed. And then everybody goes, I sure wish that would get fixed. Do you think it's going to get fixed? The answer is no, it's not going to get fixed unless somebody puts on the nail bags, goes and gets the material, and goes and fixes whatever needs to get done. There's personal responsibility that has to be taken by every believer if you want to enter into what God has for you. Do not expect somebody else to take up your ministry for you and then go, here, here's the end result. Here, get blessed. You need to get engaged in what God has for you. And that means service. We have to take responsibility, take initiative. Yes, we trust God, but we also have to invest our time, our talent, and our treasure. All three, not one or the other. We have a lot of people that think, well, you know, I'll just give a little bit of time. God wants your time, God wants your talents, and God wants your treasure. Those are all part of worshiping him with all of you. It's not one or the other. It's not one of the three. It's not two of the three. It's all of them. Because that's how stuff gets accomplished. And God's ingrained that into us as his children. I want to make sure that we understand that. And as you look at these land allotments, uh, it, it's interesting the, the situation that actually exists in the land. Uh, they're, they're very easy to look at in the standpoint that we can just name all the names. But they're very difficult, if you will, as you look at them uh, from the, the portions of each one of these pieces of land. And so... Uh, the land allotments that, that are going to be dished out here. We'll pick up in verse uh, 8. And it says, With the other half-tribe of the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance. And notice you're going to see uh, the word inheritance here. Very important that you keep parts of it. This is All this is is just dividing up uh, each one of these particular tribes is going to get a chunk of land. But he's calling each one of them an inheritance unto them. So as you look at it, which Moses, notice where it came from. This was the land that was divided up before the book of Numbers, and we're going to actually take a look at the, the book of Deuteronomy and kind of settle once and for all who owns the land at this, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them from Eor, which is on the, the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine to the plain of Medeba, which is as far as Debon, and all the cities of Sihon, the king of Amorites, the king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon and Gilead, the border of the Geshurites and the Macrathites, and all that are on Mount Hermon and Bashan as far as Selkos, so this is all modern-day Syria, um, all the kingdom of Og and Bashan, and those who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edredi, and those who remained the remnants of the giants, in other words, those are the inhabitants of Gath, uh, for Moses, who defeated and cast these out, and nevertheless, the children of Israel notice this, and this is a, a very stunning admission here when we look at this. And nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites, nor the Machathites, but the Geshurites and the Machathites dwelled among them and the Israelites to this day. Mark that, underline that verse. Here's why it's important. There's some things that happened with these people. It describes just the dividing up of all this land among basically Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. King of Sihon was of the Amorites. That would be in Jordan. But for the most part, this is Syria and Lebanon. The children of Israel didn't drive out two seemingly small, insignificant people groups. They didn't drive out two seemingly small, insignificant people groups. Very often we look at our lives and we say, ah, got 80%. Got 90%. Got 92%. Got 95%. I got 99%. I took care of 99% of the sin in my life. I did 94% of what God told me to do. That's a high percentage, right? You know, you get a 94, it's an A. Amen? Our Western world, this is how we think. I got an A. Got 94%. But, you know, those chicks are hot. <laughs> they're good-looking babes over there, them, their uh, Gershites. You know, they're... Woo! Don't think we want to get rid of all them. You know, after all, I mean, we've had some wars going on. We're a little short on good-looking females. It appears that that's exactly what they were thinking. And so they let him stay. David later married a princess from Geshur, and it was she who bore Absalom. Remember Absalom? Didn't work out so well, did it? Plotted to kill David. Leaving a little bit of stuff undone can lead to humongous problems in your spiritual walk. Make sure and do everything that God tells you to do. Even the seemingly good, you know, I mean, that's, you you gotta you got to look at it from a human perspective and say, well, was it really that bad? You might be able to say, nah, it wasn't really all that bad. But from a spiritual perspective, they were still being disobedient. And it caused them problems. Absalom actually returned to Geshur and used it as a place of refuge to plot against David. So it ended up being a thorn in the side of the Jewish people. These two seemingly insignificant places that didn't seem like they were a threat, didn't seem like they were a problem, but God said do it one way, and they said, everything but. 
Don't do that. The unique situation of the tribe of Levi. Look at this next group, verse 14. And only to the tribe of Levi did he, had he given no inheritance. And the sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. You see what he's really saying? He's kind of setting those out. Remember that we are a nation of priests and kings. Amen, as Christians? That's what God has declared that we are. In Christ Jesus, you are a nation, a people group, if you will, of priests. Uh, the Levites were the priestly order. So this is probably the closest people group, if you will, of the Jewish people that we can kind of align ourselves with. So what did God do? God left himself as their inheritance. As the Lord's kids, he has left himself as our inheritance. That's clearly what your Bible says. book of Ephesians declares that. First Peter declares that. And so he's basically saying, look, you guys have a special inheritance. It's me. I'm not giving you land. I'm going to give you more of me. It is going to be you that's going to be actually entering into my presence for the people. You're going to have more of me. Sometimes we have to realize that the biggest blessings that we have in our lives, not stuff, it's more of him. And we need to be really careful where we put our you know, where we hang our hat, so to speak, in our lives, because having more of him should be something we should all want. The portion of Reuben's land, verse 15, Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families. The territory was theirs from Aor, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the ravine uh, by the plain of Medeba and Heshbon, uh, from Dibon to Bamoth Baal, and Beth Baal Me'on. And so these are the old Canaanite cities that were closer to the River Jordan. Uh, Jasa, uh, Kedamoth, Mephpatha, Kirsharim, uh, Zepta, Zareth, Jahar, on the mountain valley of Beth Peor, and the slopes of Pigsah and Beth Jehamath. Uh, these cities all on the plain by the king of Sihon that were of the Amorites who reigned from Heshbon, whom Moses had struck. These princes of Midian and Evi and Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba were the princes of Sihon. They were dwelling in those countries. The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, uh, the soothsayer among those who were killed by them. So you all know him. Uh, he was eventually killed. Uh, the children of Israel also killed uh, by the sword those who were among them. And the border of the children of Reuben was on the bank of the Jordan. And this was their inheritance of the children of Reuben, according to their families. And so it begins to just lay out these various people groups. And I'm going to try and finish these off. And I really want to talk about the inheritance tonight because it's super uh, important to what remains. Um, verse 24, Moses goes on to give Gad's land. And so Moses also had an inheritance given by the tribe of Gad to the children of Gad, according to their families. The territory was Jazir, all the cities of Gilead, the half the land of the Ammonites as far as they were. You can kind of see some of these names keep coming up. And the reason for that is the the land allotments came to each other's borders. And so they would be on the east side of one group and on the west side of the other group or on the south end of one group, the north end of another group. So as you look at these, try not to get confused. It's not giving the same land to two groups. It's those cities were on the borders of those areas that were given. They were kind of like the points of demarcation. And so rather than read all of these again, because they are the exact same cities, uh, down to verse 27, in the valley of Beth-Haram, Beth-Nimrah, Succoth, and Zephon, 
and the rest of the kingdom of Sihon. So this is the rest of it. This is the other end with the Jordan as its border, as the far edge of the Sea of Chenereth. And of course, that would be the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Gennesaret on the other side of the Jordan eastward. And this is the inheritance of Gad, according to their families. And he goes on uh, to the half tribe of Manasseh. Now, remember that half of the tribe of Manasseh was going to stay in modern day Jordan. Half would receive its inheritance. Half of them would stay in the land of the Moabites and the Amorites. Moses had given an inheritance to half the tribe of Manasseh, for it was the half tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to their families. And their territory was from Manathem and all of Basham to the king of Og to the king of Bashan. And all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 miles and a half of Gilead uh, to Ashtaroth and, and Edri, to the cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan, uh, where the children of Machar with the son of Manasseh, or half of the children of Machar, according to their families. And these are the areas which Moses had distributed. And you'll notice the repetition. Moses said these things were finally fulfilling. It's important to kind of lay hold of that detail as we finish up here with verse 33, and by Jericho eastward to the plain. And so he's going to now give us one last shot at this, one more group, a bit of inheritance for the Levites. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. So he repeats that. It's important, again, for us to remember that we are, especially those of us who are pastors, very often when I meet someone who is who is Jewish, and I tell them that I'm a pastor, they will actually ask me often, are you of the tribe of Levi? Because priests were Levites. And so they'll say, well, you're, you're very similar to our Levitical order in that you're, that you're a pastor. We would say you're a priest, you're of the tribe of Levi. And so uh, to them, the Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he had said to them. And so they really received a greater inheritance, if you will, and you can see that again. That's First Peter one and two, First Peter uh, two, chapter two and chapter one, Ephesians chapter one and Colossians chapter one all give that picture. Um, and I would remind you that as you look at these things, I'm pretty sure that some of those lands were better than some of the other lands. If you've been to Israel, you know that's absolutely true. There are parts of Israel that to this day are fairly desolate. If you're in the mountains to the east of Jerusalem, uh, if you look over across the Jordan River to the plains of the Jordan, you go, man, who wants to live there? Well, there are some of the tribes that got that land as their inheritance, and I'm pretty sure they're looking, well, how come we didn't get the Jordan River Valley? I mean, look at that. It's nice. It's irrigated. It's got beautiful trees down there. This is a picture for us as Christians. Sometimes we're not happy with the inheritance God gave us. Sometimes we're not satisfied with how God made us. The place that he put us. We, we cry out, Lord, the people you gave me. You know, the, our, our, you don't get to pick your family, amen? You're born into it. And sometimes we're kind of like, gosh, you couldn't have done a little better than that, Lord? I mean, you know, I'm so spiritual. I mean, come on. There was no debating this. God had made a decision. He had told them what their inheritance was. It was not up to them to be jealous of the other lands. They were to go in and possess what God had called them to go in and possess. Very important spiritual lesson. God could give us something different, but he's given us what he's given us. And we need to walk in what he's given us. 
And we need to be obedient in what he's given us if we want to have his blessings. And I know most of you do. We need to see ourselves the way God sees ourselves and then what he brings into our lives takes its proper place. If you're dissatisfied, almost nothing will have its proper place in your life. If you walk around in that, you know, I just don't like this and I don't like that. If you have that negative attitude, it's really easy to disrespect the things that God's given us. I want to spend a little bit, the remainder of our time, really on this whole concept of of an inheritance. It's found actually over 50 times in, in these chapters that we're going to be looking at. And, and it's as you look at it, you need to get it conceptually in your mind what happened to the Jewish people. They didn't win their land because of the spoils of battle. Uh, they didn't purchase their land. They didn't take the spoils of war and then go, okay, well, we'll do like the Louisiana purchase or something, you know. Look, uh, okay, we beat you, but we're going to give you some money anyway. They didn't take their land from a weaker enemy. They didn't go in and go, well, you know, we're just a superior fighting force, and they come in with their, you know, the Jews have their M1A1 Abrams tanks and air support, and they just defeat all the Canaanites. It didn't happen that way. Matter of fact, they were the inferior army, and if it weren't for God fighting the battles for them, they would not have won them. It was God's land. And so the land that we call the to this day wrongly, and I will tell you why in a moment, uh, what, is, what is deemed by many to be the Palestinian covenant or the Palestinian land, uh, actually is God's land. Furthermore, if you do a little search, if you go online, you can go to Blue Letter Bible and pull up a King James or a New King James Bible or a modern translation that's accurate. Uh, I'll tell you what word you won't find in the entire Bible. Palestinian. It doesn't exist. They're not a biblical people group. They do not have their own language. They have never been a nation. There is no such people group. They don't exist. They never have. It's actually was made up, and I'll tell you by who in a moment. So in essence, this land that is God's land was given to the Jewish people, and basically it was rented to them, if you, if you want to look at it that way. In Leviticus chapter 25, book of Joel in chapter 3, God says, look, here's the rent. You need to obey me. That was the rent to the nation Israel. You can have this land. What I ask of you is that you be obedient to the things that I tell you to do. That's the sole condition of their possession of it. Remember Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal? The Jews actually signed the Palestinian covenant. They, sent, they signed this land agreement with God because it was told to them that there would be a time where the blessings and curses would come. Uh, it would produce something good in their life. We've already crossed that passage back in chapter 8. And so as you look at this um, Palestinian agreement, if you will, land covenant is what it really is. We think of the Mosaic covenant. We think of the Abrahamic covenant, but what you need to remember is God made a couple of other covenants. He actually made eight of them with the Jewish people of varying kinds, and he made a covenant regarding the land. And so we call it the Palestinian covenant. It's not Palestinian. Matter of fact, the, the term Palestine uh, was invented by the Roman emperor Hadrian uh, in A.D. 1, probably sometime between 132 and 135. But God made the covenant with Israel some 1,500 years earlier. And he didn't call it Palestine. He called it the promised land. 
And he said, furthermore, in Joel, it was his land. It's mine. I'm going to let you have it. And so 1,500 years before Hadrian was born. Second reason is if you look at your your Bible, there, there are no Palestinian people. This whole concept that we have in our modern world, that there's this people group called Palestinians that are being deprived of anything, is simply a fabrication of politics. It is not a people group. They have no language. They're basically tribal Arabs that have gathered together in a single location, and they've taken up the Roman definition that was given to de-Judaize the area that was supposed to be occupied by God's people. They're trying to force the Jews out of the land. So during the first century church, the Emperor Hadrian said, look, I know what we'll do. We'll call it something else, and we'll erase all the memory of the Jewish people. So what happened for 2,000 years? All the memory of the Jewish people was wiped out. And so you get to the time of Adolf Hitler, and the world's ripe for, look, the Jewish people have been a plague. They don't have a land. We find no one speaking Hebrew anymore. So who cares? wasn't until 1948 that they actually went back into the land. So a period of, of nearly 2,000 years, the land that was supposed to be a land of milk and honey, the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land defined by Deuteronomy chapter 29 as God's land given to the Jewish people in a covenant was defined by a Roman emperor, Hadrian. That's Palestine. There is no such thing. The world has bought that lie. And so now we have everybody running around. Ah, the poor Palestinians. They've been kicked out. They need a homeland. They never had a homeland. They have never been Palestinians. If you ask them to define what a Palestinian is, they cannot tell you in the context of history. Because there isn't any. What's the scriptural basis for this? It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 29, if you want to turn there. Book of Deuteronomy, uh, in, in literally, uh, from the Mishnah, means a copy of the law. And of course, if you know the book of Deuteronomy, it is not a copy of just the law, the Ten Commandments. It is a massive extrapolation of the law. In other words, it's the law blown up with a whole bunch of detail added. It is the law, to be sure. But is, it's this, now this uh, treatise, if you will, on what God had commanded them to do. He basically reinstates these things that were told to Moses in a much more detailed way. And, and though that covenant is within the fifth book of Moses, it clearly shows a land covenant that is distinct from the Mosaic covenant. And it begins, and it says, and these are the words of the covenant with which Jehovah commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which with he made them at Horeb. So you get the distinction. It's not the same covenant. This is two separate covenants. One is the Mosaic covenant, wherein he said, you'll be my people, I'll be your God, and here's how that works. He made an additional covenant to them. Notice how it picks up. And it says, and it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you. Where did they ratify that covenant? At Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim with Joshua. 
They said, yep, we accept the terms of the agreement. And it goes on to say, and you shall call them to mind among the nations. Whether Jehovah your God has driven you, you shall return to Jehovah your God. All that I command you to this day and your children with all your heart and all of your soul, that you're, that then the Jehovah God will turn you from your captivity and have compassion upon you, and I will return you and gather you from all the peoples, whether Jehovah your God has scattered you. Of all your outcasts, from the uttermost parts of heaven, from thence Jehovah will be your God and he will gather you. And so what he does is he says, look, when you acknowledge the blessings that I've promised you and you acknowledge the curses, then the land that I promised you in the book of Leviticus is yours. So it was a land covenant that God made with the Jewish people, and that is exactly what they ratified on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And so the Jewish people then said, look, okay, we accept, we accept the terms. Notice what the terms are. You'll be obedient. If you don't do it, God will put the curses upon you. If you do do it, to put the curses upon your enemies, those that have persecuted you. So as long as they were obedient in the land, God would bless them. And if they were disobedient in the land, God would allow them to be afflicted and cursed. And so from that day that they entered into the land, those little seeds of disobedience that were not very significant at first got greater and greater and greater and greater, and they lost more and more of the land that God promised them in obedience. The blessing of the inheritance was lost in disobedience. And so today, what do we see? Still haven't recognized Messiah. Still have not honored the Lord with all of their possessions. They continued themselves to give away the land that God told them to go in and possess. And the world forces them to do it. And so you can see why the land is so hotly contested. It belongs to God. He gave it to the Jews. He made a covenant. When God makes a covenant, he means it. Amen? He's not, he's not kidding. He's not messing around. The provisions of this covenant, notice what they are. And, I, and we don't have to read all of it, but I'll give you these things. What are those provisions that are there? It's made between them. The first of them is Moses spoke prophetically of Israel's disobedience to the law and that they would be scattered. What happened to the Jewish people? They were disobedient to the law and they would be scattered. You can see that clearly from chapter 29, verse 2 to thir- chapter 30, verse 1. They're in the book of Deuteronomy. Second thing, ultimately, verse 2 of chapter 30, that Israel would repent. They're still yet to do that fully. Third, the Messiah would return. So when the Messiah returns, there's going to be a whole lot of Jewish believers on this earth. Amen? 144,000 of them to start with. Amen? Your Bible is pretty clear on what's going to happen ultimately. So as you look at these things, you can see how they play out into the time frame that we are now living in. Fourth thing, that's verses 3 through 4. Israel's going to be regathered into the land. What's happening? There's more Jews in the land than there has been in the last 2,000 years. Amen? Fifth thing, they're going to actually possess the promised land. What's happened several times since 1948? The Jewish people have repossessed the land and then given it back, only to go repossess it again and give it back. 1948, they were given all of it. 1967, they had shrunk in and then regained all of it all the way up to Damascus, Syria. 1972, same thing. 
2014, they're back fighting in Gaza, right? That was their land. They were supposed to keep it. It was never supposed to be given to these supposed Palestinian people. And don't take what I'm saying as discompassion towards the people who are innocent that live in those territories. Innocent people are innocent people. They, they, they need to be taken care of, and God has that in view. We want to be very careful not to, to disrespect the individual peoples that are there. But as far as this whole concept of a group of people called Palestinians, God doesn't honor it. And so there's going to be a fight as long as Israel does not possess those lands. Period. It belongs to God. Israel would be regenerated. What happened? May of 1948, Israel regenerated. The enemies of Israel will be judged. That time's coming. Eighth thing, Israel is going to receive the full blessing of the Messianic age. That also is yet to happen. Amen? Read Romans chapter 11. You'll see what, see what we have in store for us. When the times of the Gentiles are complete, all Israel, it says, will be saved. So because the covenant hasn't been kept on the Jewish people's side, there's still strife and struggle. And one day God's going to solve all that himself. We know it as the tribulation. And then he's going to come back and really solve it because Jesus is coming again. Amen? Good news is, as a church, we aren't going to be here to see all that carnage. Hallelujah, because of the grace of God. Verse Thessalonians tells us that there in chapter 4 and verse 9. It's not appointed us to wrath, but unto salvation. Amen. I don't plan on being here. So if you want to be here for the tribulation, you hang. I'm leaving. Going with Jesus. What was the importance of that covenant? Basically, it was a special importance because it was it was tied these covenants together. The, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant. Each one of them is part of God's promise to the Jewish people. And he's going to keep them all. It's his plan. So when our president, our secretary of state says, you need to give up more land, it's like that's dumb as hot rocks because you're going against what God said. You know, it may sound like a politically expedient thing to do. It sounds very compassionate. Well, we need to give the Palestinian people uh, a homeland. Well, their homeland is actually Jordan and Syria and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and the lands that, are not the Jewish people's lands. That's their lands. Turkey. Much of Syria. Those are all lands that God had no problem with them possessing. The problem is, is they don't want Israel in its land. That's the issue. And as long as there are people on this earth that don't want Israel in that land, there's going to be a war. Because God's on Israel's side. That covenant was confirmed, and it happens uh, in, actually in the book of Ezekiel. And I just want to give you the passage. You can look at it later. But if you read the whole 16th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, you're going to see this incredible message that's preached by the prophet. And in it, he just lays out all of what would happen in the very last days. Uh, the dispersion would not be final. There's going to be a future for the children of Israel, that the land covenant would be honored, and that even though they were guilty of, of violating the Mosaic covenant, uh, that God would remember that covenant with them. And by the time you get to the end, it says that God will establish an everlasting or a new covenant with them. Amen? And he's going to do that one day. And finally, it will result in all Israel being saved. And so as you look at the land of Israel, 
remember whose land it is. It's God's land. He gave it to them as an inheritance. And as long as they're not in it, that land is going to remain at war. And so know what your Bible says as you look at the newspaper headlines. Know what your Bible says as you hear people spouting our new political agendas. Because the last thing on earth that I want our country to do is to get in the line of fire with God. To, to set ourselves against the Lord of hosts, against Christ himself, ultimately. And so there's only one side to be on, and that's God's side. And so the division of the land that we call modern-day Israel is about the last thing in the world we should want as Christians. It's God's land. He gave it to the Jewish people. And it's in everyone's best interest that they possess that land, especially theirs. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the conciseness of your word. And as we look at these passages of Scripture, uh, it just gives us great hope. Lord, as we know that the day draws near that our king returns, we also know that you're a righteous judge. Lord, that you look at this earth and you have compassion on those who are guiltless, uh, that you care for all of mankind, and that's Jews and Arabs and Americans and Turks and Iraqis and Iranians, Persians, Lord. The people who live in Southeast Asia, you, you love the lost. You, you love your people. And so, God, we pray uh, that you cause us to be busy about our Father's business, which is bringing a lost souls uh, to that knowledge of who Jesus is, that they might be saved. Lord, we know that that will actually one day usher in uh, the very last days. And so, Lord, help us to be busy. Help us to speak the truth. Help us to rely on our Bibles. Uh, Lord, as, as the functioning, uh, purposeful truth that it is, God, that it, it speaks uh, to our world even this day. And so, Lord, we bless you. Thank you for this time. Lord, get us home safely. Bring us back together again as we're joined on the Lord's Day this Sunday. God, would you just speak to us throughout the week and use us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.